Will Apple's Vision Pro actually diagnose and treat mental illness? Let's find out! This is the Tech Review Podcast powered by Axel Springer. You crave the latest news from innovation, technology and social media? We do too! So stay tuned and listen to what you need to know. You're listening to episode 80, recorded on the 29th of October. My name is Tarek Mandadimamluk and virtually by my side is the amazing Vincent Irmler. How are you today, Vincent? Uh, obviously, I'm psyched uh, for this new episode. I'm great. How are you, Tarek? I am. I, I want to say very well, but actually, I'm still having a cold, and so my <laughs> my my sound, my voice is still a little bit uh, rusty. You might hear this. It sounds very groovy when I speak. I, like I think this you sound microphone. great as always. <laughs> yeah. Let's see I if I can if, if my if my voice uh, survives the next half an hour. Alright, before we start with the main topic for today, let's go into the short news. And now, this. I'm going to stop, right? I, I just know that you are the biggest Uber fan possible. Alright, right. So, okay, uh, let's talk about <laughs> Uber. <laughs> Great cue. Great segue. Is it true, though? Are you a big Uber fan? I, I don't even know. Yeah, I mean, I think it's very, very convenient, and I really like um, this this ease of using the app, letting you uh, letting you see the the tariff that you're going to pay for uh, in advance, and have uh, like this this algorithm uh, calculate everything for you. Even though I really enjoyed in the past before COVID um, this shared mode where you uh, were able to save some money by sharing the Uber with other parties. Uh, I'm not sure if this still exists. I don't see it anymore in the app. Um, whenever I call an Uber, I'm, I'm alone in there. I think that specifically in Germany, this was never available uh, because the regulations in Germany are different. I oh, remember I that this pool was a thing in the US. Yeah. And I, I, th I went, when I've been in the US just now, um, look, thinking back, I think there is something like that again, but it is less, it's not called pool. It's not Uber pool anymore. It's like you go somewhere with Uber X and then you could technically pick up the next customer on the way. So okay. it's like more like, I mean, you do literally the same thing, but the, I, I also remember that the prices were really similar. Like you're saving a dollar, dollar fifty, maybe on a ride, and therefore uh, not as sexy as it used to be. I remember taking that a lot in San Francisco. Yeah, but uh, not anymore. Sad, sad. But we have news about Uber. Uh, yes, please tell me. NBC is reporting uh, that Uber begins offering rides in self-driving Waymo cars. And this is what we were all waiting for such a long time. And I believe that in the initial vision of Uber, they always envisioned exactly this, having a fleet of self-driving cars. So whenever you book a, a ride on your on your phone in the app, uh, there will be a, a car arriving without a driver and bringing you wherever you want to go. And now Uber is one of the pioneers, no, sorry, Uber is one of the pioneers of the ride-sharing industry and now they have teamed up with Maymo, the autonomous vehicle company owned by Alphabet, to offer fully autonomous rides in Phoenix, USA. This partnership announced back in May has now become a reality for Uber users in the area. What's remarkable here is that Uber passengers can now opt for self-driving Waymo cars. And you can accept the autonomous option or, if you prefer the more traditional ride, that's still available. 
Uh, worried about the tech problems? No problem. There's a 24-7 helpline for passengers traveling in Waymo cars, ensuring a smooth experience, experience for everyone. And here's the best thing about that. These autonomous rides come at the same price as regular Uber rides. So not the surprise that I was expecting that you maybe even have to pay more for that. No, it's the same, uh, it's the same price. Uh, and uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. No, no, I didn't want to interrupt. Yeah. Okay, so you are getting the future of transportation without breaking the bank. Phoenix is the lucky city to witness the first public rollout of, of Waymo's autonomous cars, making it the largest fully autonomous service area in the world. This is a significant step towards reshaping urban transportation. And the big question is, how do you know if your ride is autonomous? And Uber got you covered in there because the app will notify you if you are paired with a fully autonomous vehicle and if you... Uh, want that you can accept it or if you don't want that you can still reject it and for those who can't wait to hop in one of these self-driving cars uh, you can just update your preferences in the app and this will increase the chances uh, of experiencing this future of travel so uh, yeah you had a question vincent and i was just very surprised that uh, you're saying you were expecting this to be more expensive if anything i was expecting this to be less expensive because i mean yeah. it is literally <clears throat> a test for them they need data they need data to collect to make the service work so technically i would expect those rides to be off like down of the price a lot yeah i mean both could be both could be explained um i was expecting because uh, the tech enthusiasts are waiting for this and would pay probably double for this experience for we driving would. in, in uh, Waymo car. But from the economic perspective, uh, you're totally right. It wouldn't make sense. And probably the majority of users would opt out of this because they'd simply want to go from A to B and uh, not paying the double price simply to sit in one of the other cars. Would you take uh, an autonomous car? Absolutely. <laughs> Immediately. I was actually thinking about, yeah. uh, because uh, next week I'm going to travel to the US and I was right. thinking, maybe we should make a stop in Phoenix <laughs> just I mean, to ride some Ubers. <laughs> if this is still up, I, I would love an episode out of this car. Absolutely. You, you just pick a, a, a trip that's around 30 minutes and uh, we're going to do this. I would love that. <laughs> I hope it won't be the last episode. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I mean, I'm very, I, I'm always we're very uh, surprised when people don't trust autonomous mobility in any way. Uh, because, I mean, when you think about like, I think the go to example is airplanes where most of it is just audited by a, by the by the captain but technically or by the crew but technically for except for a very few things this is completely automized so yeah very it's very interesting thank you for bringing it. i really like it that's the way more car all right it looks cool it looks very right. cool let's continue yeah uh, the next news is from me i think it's about instagram and it's about threats and the api that they're offering i think everybody who's working with threats and probably also working with threats uh, on a professional level um, they will know that there is no api currently so everything you do anything you do is via threats um directly and uh, that means that you don't have analytics you don't have automized posting a lot of it you, you don't have a lot of it and uh, we know from other apps for example twitter or x and reddit 
that um, third-party apps are actually think something that make those services much better. Uh, probably you remember two to three months ago when they shut down a lot of Reddit apps, um, and that was a big outcry. So Adam Osari, the head of Instagram, said this is in the works. Um, they expect a lot more content from publishers, obviously, that will connect to this API and make work automized posting because everything right now is manual. Um, but because they already said we're not against news, but we're also not embracing threats as a news platform to be, um, I'm really excited to see what this API actually is offering in terms of capabilities. Uh, for example, what I can see is maybe they built an API that serves analytics data, but it won't let you post. Uh, I don't know if this is realistic, uh, and we don't know what they're working on, but they're working on it, and I think that will be a cool way. So, uh, or not a cool way, but like a, a way to make this work with standing by their statement. Um, the cool thing about this, or probably the most interesting thing about this is that X, uh, Reddit, and also a few other apps are really go moving away from third-party apps. And a lot of people are, well, again, are sad about it or mad about it even. Um, because they love their personalized apps that built on top of the ecosystem uh, and in the end may just serve a better experience. And so Threats, again, is doing something that looks like, uh, if they actually go through with this as we are right now thinking, is coming exactly in this niche where currently nobody sits like on a perfect spot. And I find that very interesting because I think that Threats more and more becomes this platform that is kind of delivering on everything that people are looking for. However, um, they're, I don't want to say they're not delivering right on it, but they're definitely are in those spots and saying we are the ones delivering on people, on things that I don't know have been killed or anything, but um, they're not delivering 100%. So I'm really excited to see what this is going to be. And uh, there is no ETA on this, but uh, looking back at the thing they did with the website that was really fast so i'm thinking that this probably will be here very quick yeah that's it and to be honest uh the biggest surprise when i read this news was and I, I don't even know yeah i mean i think it's very very convenient and i really like um this this ease of using the app letting you uh letting you see the the tariff that you're going to pay for uh, in advance and have uh, like this this algorithm uh, calculate everything for you even though i really enjoyed in the past before covid um this shared mode where you uh, were able to save some money by sharing the uber with other parties uh, i'm not sure if this still exists i don't see it anymore in the app um, whenever i call an uber i'm, I'm alone in there I think that specifically in Germany, this was never available uh, because the regulations in Germany are different. I, oh, I remember see. that this pool was a thing in the US. Yeah. And I, I, th I went when I've been in the US just now. Um, look, thinking back, I think there is something like that again, but it is less. It's not called pool. It's not Uber Pool anymore. It's like you go somewhere with Uber X. And then you could technically pick up the next customer on the way. So okay. it's like more like, I mean, you do literally the same thing. But the, I, I also remember that the prices were really similar. Like you're saving a dollar, dollar fifty maybe on a ride. And therefore, 
Uh, not as sexy as it used to be. I remember taking that a lot in San Francisco. Yeah. But uh, not anymore. Sad, sad. But we have news about Uber. Uh, yes, please tell me. NBC is reporting uh, that Uber begins offering rides in self-driving Waymo cars. And this is what we were all waiting for such a long time. And I believe that in the initial vision of Uber, they always envisioned exactly this, having a fleet of self-driving cars. So whenever you book a, a ride on your on your phone and the app, uh, there will be a, a car arriving without a driver and bringing you wherever you want to go. And now Uber is one of the pioneers, no, sorry, Uber is one of the pioneers of the ride-sharing industry and now they have teamed up with Maymo, the autonomous vehicle company owned by Alphabet, to offer fully autonomous rides in Phoenix, USA. This partnership announced back in May has now become a reality for Uber users in the area. What's remarkable here is that Uber passengers can now opt for self-driving Waymo cars. And you can accept the autonomous option or, if you prefer the more traditional ride, that's still available. Uh, worried about the tech problems? No problem. There's a 24-7 helpline for passengers traveling in Waymo cars, ensuring a smooth experience, experience for everyone. And here's the best thing about that. These autonomous rides come at the same price as regular Uber rides. So not the surprise that I was expecting that you maybe even have to pay more for that. No, it's the same, uh, it's the same price. Uh, and uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. No, no, I didn't want to interrupt. No. Yeah. Okay, so you are getting the future of transportation without breaking the bank. Phoenix is the lucky city to witness the first public rollout of, of Waymo's autonomous cars, making it the largest fully autonomous service area in the world. This is a significant step towards reshaping urban transportation. And the big question is, how do you know if your ride is autonomous? And Uber got you covered in there because the app will notify you if you are paired with a fully autonomous vehicle and if you... Uh, want that you can accept it or if you don't want that you can still reject it and for those who can't wait to hop in one of these self-driving cars uh, you can just update your preferences in the app and this will increase the chances uh, of experiencing this future of travel so uh, yeah you had a question vincent and i was just very surprised that uh, you're saying you were expecting this to be more expensive if anything i was expecting this to be less expensive because i mean yeah. it is literally <clears throat> A test for them they need data they need data to collect to make the service work so technically i would expect those rides to be off like down of the price a lot yeah i mean both could be both could be explained um i was expecting because uh, the tech enthusiasts are waiting for this and would pay probably double for this experience for we driving in, in a Waymo car. But from the economic perspective, uh, you're totally right. It wouldn't make sense. And probably the majority of users would opt out of this because they'd simply want to go from A to B and uh, not paying the double price simply to sit in one of the other cars. Would you take uh, an autonomous car? Absolutely. <laughs> Immediately. I was actually thinking about, yeah. uh, because uh, next week I'm going to travel to the US and I was right. thinking, maybe we should make a stop in Phoenix <laughs> just I mean, to ride some Ubers. <laughs> if this is still up, I, I would love an episode out of this car. Absolutely. You, you just pick a, a, a trip that's around 30 minutes and uh, we're going to do this. I would love that. <laughs> I hope it won't be the last episode. <laughs> nah, I don't think so. I mean, I'm very, I, I'm always, we're very, uh, 
surprised when people don't trust autonomous mobility in any way. Uh, because, I mean, when you think about, like, I think the go-to example is airplanes, where most of it is just audited by a, by the by the captain, but technically, or by the crew, but technically, for except for a very few things, this is completely automized. So, yeah, very it's very interesting. Thank you for bringing it. I really like it. That's the Waymo car. All right. It looks cool. It looks very right. cool. Let's continue. Yeah. Uh, the next news is from me, I think. It's about Instagram, and It's about threats and the API that they're offering. I think everybody who's working with threats and probably also working with threats uh, on a professional level, um, they will know that there is no API currently. So everything you do, anything you do, is via threats um, directly. And uh, that means that you don't have analytics, you don't have automized posting, a lot of it you, you don't have a lot of it and uh, we know from other apps for example twitter or x and reddit that um third-party apps are actually think something that make those services much better uh probably you remember two to three months ago when they shut down a lot of reddit apps um, and that was a big outcry so adam osari the head of instagram said this is in the works um they expect a lot more content from publishers obviously that will connect to this api and make work automized posting because everything right now is manual um but because they already said we're not against news but we're also not embracing threats as a news platform to be um i'm really excited to see what this api actually is offering in terms of capabilities uh, for example what i can see is maybe they build an api that serves analytics data but it won't let you post. Uh, I don't know if this is realistic, uh, and we don't know what they're working on, but they're working on it, and I think that would be a cool way. So, uh, or not a cool way, but like a, a way to make this work with standing by their statement. Um, the cool thing about this, or probably the most interesting thing about this is that X, uh, Reddit, and also a few other apps are really go moving away from third-party apps and a lot of people are well again are sad about it and are mad about it even um because they love their personalized apps that built on top of the ecosystem uh and in the end may just serve a better experience and so threats again is doing something that looks like uh if they actually go through with this as we are not right now thinking is coming exactly in this niche where currently nobody sits like on a perfect spot. And I find that very interesting because I think that Threats more and more becomes this platform that is kind of delivering on everything that people are looking for. However, um, they're, I don't want to say they're not delivering right on it, but they're definitely are in those spots and saying we are the ones delivering on people, on things that I don't know have been killed or anything. But um, they're not delivering 100%. So I'm really excited to see what this is going to be. And uh, there is no ETA on this. But uh, looking back at the thing they did with the website, that was really fast. So I'm thinking that this probably will be here very quick. Yeah. That's it. And to be honest, uh, the biggest surprise when I read this news was that not everybody else already has an API. I, as a software developer, for me, it's a red flag working uh, with a service who does not uh, 
provide this kind of interface because this is the way to operate to interact with the service uh, and so yeah. that this is now like the big thing the big innovation that uh, threads is bringing it's quite surprising to be honest and meta did with threads meta did a lot of things that are different i mean they launched the service and it was really a naked service they had like so many features not implemented yet they just went out with it to see what their reaction is i mean they just said that they have i think very close to 100 million like a bit below 100 million monthly active users which is a good number i mean it's a great edit for a new service and for the way they stripped the service off features before launch um well that is great so they did it differently, and I mean, we'll see if it's going to work out for them. But I mean, remember, they you couldn't edit a post. There were no polls. You couldn't search. Uh, there is a, the activity feed is just being added. So, yeah, we'll see. All right, let's continue with uh, Ars Technica. Ars Technica reported. Uh, Atom Computer is the first to announce a 1,000-plus qubit quantum computer. In a jaw-dropping announcement, the startup Atom Computing has revealed that they've been secretly working on a groundbreaking 1,180 qubit quantum computer. Yes, you heard it right. 1,180 qubits. And this quantum behemoth is now in internal testing and is expected to be developed... Well, and is expected to be available to customers next year. What makes this milestone so remarkable is that Atom Computing, originally uh, known for its 100 qubit neutral atom qubit system, has taken a quantum leap forward, quite literally. While the error rate of individual qubit operations remains a challenge, it doesn't diminish the significance of this achievement. It's a testament to their ability to scale rapidly and offer a platform for critical work for critical work in quantum error correction. And uh, if we take a look at the tech behind that, uh, atom computing uses neut neutral atoms as qubits and their approach is unique. They create a controlled environment using lasers, allowing atoms to be precisely positioned. This quantum information is stored uh, in nuclear spin, known for its resilience against environmental factors. Unlike other qubit types with short coherence lifetimes, neutral atoms can hold their state for tens of seconds. This means fewer environmental interactions and it's possible to densely pack these atoms, making it well-suited for rapid scalability. And uh, these challenges that, that we see here um, are still to be solved. Connections among qubits, potential bottlenecks, and exploring 3D arrays all await. Uh, atom computing is stepping boldly into the unknown, but atom computing's progress suggests that they are on the right track. And uh, last month I was on the quantum tech conference uh, talking to some of the industry leaders. And it was uh, really, really fascinating that uh, everyone was telling me that the research is going uh, into the right direction and they are preparing to to solve problems um, that are not solvable with uh, regular computers. And the biggest um, challenge that they have is that they don't have enough qubits. The quantum computers that they are working with are simply too small. And if I now read a headline like this, that we are breaking now this year the 1,000 qubit uh, threshold, uh, I believe that uh, this won't be an argument anymore in the near future because uh, if they are capable of scaling in this pace, then we are going to probably have a 2,000 qubit or a 10,000 qubit uh, very, very soon, uh, qubit computer. Yeah. 
I have to I have to ask something very fundamental because uh, I always every time we talk about this I feel like I don't know enough about it I really got to look into this in quantum computing in general. So is it like the more qubits you have, the better the computer is? Is is it like the same with uh, what is it transistors? No, like when we're talking about regular computers. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of um, it's it's a question of performance because uh, you are combining the qubits to do complex operations. Uh, imagine you have a computer and it only has two bits. So you can only do two-bit operations, which means you can only uh, like calculate with four numbers. Zero, 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 one, one, zero, and one, one. This is the only alphabet that you can use within the memory of the computer. And okay. the amount of operations that you can do with this is very limited. Or you might uh, be able to do more um, like over a sequence of time if you can store like the values in an in external memory or something. But it will take a lot of time to calculate this. And so uh, with regular computers, you have um, the, the processing speed and the memory increasing. And so the computer becomes more and more powerful. And it's kind of the same uh, with the quantum computers. If you have one qubit, you can do like operations with one value. Yeah? And this is, of course, very, very, yeah, Stupid, because okay. one value Understood. is only one value. Uh, and the okay. more qubits you have, the, the more complex your operations can be. Even though, uh, if I say it like that, it's it's like how I understood quantum computers. I'm, I'm not a physicist, so uh, for you, dear viewer, if you are a physicist and I said something wrong right now about quantum computers, please drop me a comment in, in the show notes, uh, in, in, the, in the comments. Uh, and let me know. <laughs> please, please correct us. If right. Please correct us for wrong. Yeah. Always. Yeah. <laughs> okay, let's jump to some space news. Right, yeah. So this news is about SpaceX, and um, the article reads, it's from expressnews.com, and the article reads that San Antonio Express News reports that SpaceX Starship could launch as soon as November 6th. I think everybody remembers the last time it flew when we also on this podcast spoke about if it's actually going to happen or not. I said no, and I was wrong. I remember being wrong for sure. <laughs> so SpaceX Starship, it's the world's largest rocket currently, is preparing for its next flight, and it could happen as early as November 6th. As I just said, the Coast Guard notice posted recently provides us with this exciting update, hinting that the launch of this, well, of the spacecraft in the end. The notice outlines that rocket launching operations scheduled between 5.25 a.m. and 11 near Boca Chica Beach. That's in Texas where the uh, Starship is housed. Uh, to ensure safety, boaters are advised to steer clear of the designated hazard area beneath the flight path, which extends from to the Texas coast to the vicinity of the Bahamas. So it's quite a large quite a large area to be at. Adding to the intrigue, NASA's WB-57 high-altitude research aircraft is set for stateside deployment during this time and aimed at a providing critical imagery support for the upcoming event. While this news is cause for celebration amongst a lot of Starship fans, of course, we must exercise patience here and caution. The timeline for such testing is known to be unpredictable and subject to change. Not to mention that SpaceX still requires the all-important Federal Aviation Administration, or as we know it, FAA, license to proceed with the launch. I mean, usually they get these, as far as I understand, but uh, we'll see. Uh, the FAA emphasized that the 
need to uh, they the need to address safety, environmental, and other regulation requirements before granting the launch license, and they're optimistic that it well they're optimistic that the safety review may conclude by the end of October. So this looks good for now. The FAA, uh, but as with many of those endeavors, regulatory hurdles remain and. Additional environmental review processes underway involving the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and the FFA, of course, in the Endangering Species Act and its impact on local wildlife habitats. And I have a question about that in a moment, Tarek. Despite these challenges, I, I can already <laughs> say, I need your opinion on this. Despite these challenges, SpaceX is undeterred. Uh, recent tests involve fueling the Starship and Super Heavy Booster with over 10 million pounds of propellant, simulating a flight-like scenario. The company's announcement, Rick's claimed, vehicle is ready for the second test flight of a fully integrated Starship pending regulatory approval. So exactly what we just heard. Additionally, SpaceX trialed its newly installed Deluge system, a technology that, manage, he, that manages the noise, heat, and force generated by the Booster's 33 Raptor engines. However, the system is also under scrutiny for its potential environmental impacts and permitting concerns. SpaceX's journey to the second launch of the full Starship has been anything but smooth where we spoke about this in podcast if you haven't listened to this go back there are a bunch of episodes about this and i think they're great the maiden flight earlier this year made headlines for the wrong reason for the wrong reasons with debris scattered and concrete obliterated nevertheless a spacex along with environmental engines agencies is working diligently to mitigate any adverse effects and we'll see how this goes. I mean, again, full filled up and ready for launch. Um, obviously, they need that for a test. So really, really excited about this, uh, I think, for sure. Yeah. And since I'm um, going to be in yeah. the United States next week, <laughs> maybe I make a, a pit stop in Phoenix. Maybe I just keep driving to Texas simply to watch the start of Starship. <laughs> I mean, Ty, this sounds like a round trip because obviously you could take an Uber there. Oh, that's amazing! <laughs> yes, technically, Riding I mean, with with Waymo down to Texas to observe Starship. Nice. But what I wonder is, could you tell them to stop? Like, I think that's a long trip. So, thinking of how many, how much Gatorade you're going to drink, uh, <laughs> you, you got to stop somewhere, right? And I wonder how uh, how that how this that does that go? Is it like a pause button? Like, I don't know. My just, I don't know if you heard that, but my vacuum is just going off. Uh, and I was stomping it <laughs> with a pause button. So is this like how you stop the Uber now? Like I have no idea. Stop at the next, at the next. I don't know. At, I mean, at the next. I think option. It's it's not like regular that uh, during your ride you are stopping. It's like if you are sitting in a regular Uber and you tell the driver to stop. Um, this is probably only for emergency if you have to like puke or something. Right. Uh, yeah. So they they must have something like a panic button, like a like a stop button. I need to go out. Um, but sure. probably um, the ride will be terminated with this. Um, I, I don't think that they allow you to arbitrarily stop during um, your route. Right. Yeah. But most of the time you don't go from Phoenix to, <laughs> right. well, well, to the beach. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. yeah, but it uh, sounds, sounds super interesting. And I'm very curious to see uh, how this time the Starship is going to launch into the sky. I'm, I'm trying to watch it on November 6th, but I'm not sure I can make it. Uh, I really hope you're going to make it. Uh, and obviously, I hope for some pictures. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. And now, this. 
let's continue with our main story for today. And it is about Apple and our <laughs> most favorite topic, the Vision Pro. Yes, it is. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, do you want to present this or should I? Uh, we huh? didn't talk about this before. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. All right. Well, it's you, uh, you basically VR Vincent, right? <laughs> I'm your Vincent. That's that's what that's what people call me most of the time. <laughs> now, so um, all right. Well, this uh, headset obviously is coming out early next year. They're still on track to do so. And I think one of the things that we noticed that did not present as much as we probably would have thought or guessed they would is health and fitness uh, when they launched it uh, or when they present when they did invent. Uh, I don't know unveil the device and um now there's this report or there are many reports that apple is still really unsure how they're going to treat this um way back like years ago i think 2016 or something like that um they already uh killed off full uh, full body scan that was a feature they wanted to have they wanted to have, add some cameras at the bottom to make a full body scan they are not uh, doing this anymore obviously but there are a lot of cameras as you know uh, not only for the display in front but also there um, they're scanning your eyes and your facial expressions and a lot of other stuff so this obviously could also be used for medical purposes um, you could track pupil dilation you could track color you could track again uh, motions and you can detect well unregulatory things unregular things um but inside apple they're exactly unsure as we are right now some of them say this is um something they really want to do we'll definitely make the make it it's going to be the, the demand is going to be higher then uh because actually in healthcare a lot of people are trying this for a long time now specifically for mental health this is a big thing having those devices and since apple vision pro is not the first vrar headset to come out but um or spatial computing device um to come out but there are a few on the market already there are also some tests out there and um yeah, it's very interesting to see. Just like in one of those other stories we just heard about uh, SpaceX, also here uh, the regulation is a big, big hurdle. It's a big challenge for Apple because obviously when you think back on Apple Watch, it started not with a lot of features and added more and more healthcare features, more and more safety features. But those features, for example, often display a warning that this is not a reliable test, even though it might be very reliable. But because they're really scared of having any kind of liability, um, they flag those. And this obviously, in the end, leads back to the regulators that have to um, allow Apple to put in any kind of medical preci uh, precision devices slash use them on customers. Um, also, this would lead to a bunch of other problems. For example, that Apple has a very strict privacy policy, as you know. So when you, for example, scan your fingertips, when you scan your um, uh, your uh, your eyes, or for example, with the new 70.2 iOS app, journal all of these is processed on device um or siri for example also a lot of things are processed on device and also this would have would need to be processed on device um i think the computing power for this could be there since i think it's launching with m2 when i when i think correctly definitely launched with a silicon mac chip and a special virtual uh um, a special chip for uh come for computing but uh spatial computing but it again 
a lot of other problems. Um, however, very interestingly enough, the approaches this Apple that Apple Art is taking or was taking in the past are extremely reliable in the end. So there, for example, was a study about iPhone and Apple Watch, a connection between those two, and this has been going on for years. In the end, the partner, the medical partner that Apple was conducting the study with had to pull out. But the full summary of it is that Apple was very much, this was about, I think it was about Alzheimer's, and Apple was very well in predicting if someone was showing any kind of signs of Alzheimer's because of the well, of the usage of iPhone and Apple Watch. So I think this leaves us with, this could be a really great device if done right. And it could be really a great device also for healthcare if done right. Um, not also, not only in cooperation with the regulators, but also obviously the features have to be great. And I think what what I think about it is that I'm pretty sure we're going to see more of this step by step. So when we think back, Apple Watch One, not a lot of features compared to now. So and we're I think nine generations away now. So we'll think of what Apple Vision Pro will do in nine generations, um, and maybe think of what Apple Vision Pro will do in because everything's speeding up in three generations. So yeah, very excited to see that. But. <clears throat> of course, there is this elephant in the room uh, regarding privacy, right? And I remember when the first fitness watches came out that were doing very simple things like um, measuring your pulse, uh, the, the privacy um, regulators already screamed out because this is personal information that is probably uploaded somewhere into the cloud, somewhere to some uh, data handler. Um, and you have to trust that this data is not used for the wrong purposes. And even though one could say, uh, okay, the, the risk of like simple data like uh, pulse measuring um, should not be critical, it is personal information. And now that uh, these devices become more and more powerful and probably, or as uh, this article says, could even diagnose um, certain mental illnesses, um, And even though we say, okay, it's, it's a great thing that we can use it uh, also for treatment, uh, this data is in the hands of the platform provider. And technically, <laughs> Apple would then sit on this kind of personal data and uh, this is like a, like a privacy nightmare. And so I am I'm really curious if Apple, if this is like simply speculation, if they are thinking about the possible things you could do with this, Or if someone actually is going to do that. And I am very skeptical if Apple is going to this route because Apple is paying a lot of attention to this aspect of privacy. And with everything that happens on your iPhone, for example, they always make sure that uh, you are aware that everything that you enter there stays on this phone. I mean, not like your cloud data, of course, but uh, your fingerprint from the fingerprint sensor or your, your uh, facial information uh, for unlocking the phone, right? It's all calculated and stored locally on your phone. This is not part of uh, the iCloud storage where Apple then has your biometric data. Um, at least this is what they are always claiming. And so maybe they go the same route with these devices that they say, okay, uh, we have these, um, these applications that are observing 
your eye movements and your facial reaction and your body movement or whatever, your breathing rhythm. Technically, they, they could do all of those. And maybe they are doing the same thing. They, they are saying we have this, this device and it is doing everything that it's done, done uh, locally. Nothing is transmitted to the cloud. I don't know. But I'm really looking forward to uh, more explanations in this direction. Yeah, me too. So what I can see, I mean, when we look at Apple Watch, because it's the, just as you said, it's the best comparison. I think that there, I mean, a lot of things that are happening are, again, all of those are things that are happening on device. And a lot of things of those in the end end in something like a an emergency notification to you. So, for example, the other day, I think it was a misreading, uh, not the other day, but like, like a long time ago, a few months, not a long time ago, but like some time ago, I had a misreading. I looked it up because it was, uh, I think, a misreading uh, about my blood oxygen level being low. And that, for example, obviously is one of those emergency readings that you get. And this leads back to or fo is followed by hey, you should check out a doctor. And that doctor then could, at least Apple claims, read out the data and then make something of it. I went to the doctor. I'm fine, by the way. But <laughs> uh, no, I'm good. But uh, <laughs> no, uh, but I think this is how this would be treated or this is how they must treat it because otherwise I don't, I don't, I don't know how, how else they would do that. So connecting to a medical professional, uh, who also is serving your privacy and, uh, well, well, fighting for your privacy rights in that domain and, um, yeah, processing on device. But for that, you need powerful devices, of course. So, for example, when you think back on, I mean, when, I, when I think on Google's watch, the Pixel watch, that, for example, I wonder, I mean, the reviews show that this is a very slow device. So I wonder how Google is doing that. Also thinking of, the new Pixel has those amazing features on camera. But for example, there, you can only use all of those AI features, smart remove and all the kind of stuff. You can do all of these only when you upload your photos to the Google Cloud, so to Google Photos. So I wonder if they're doing the same with the watches. I don't know. But that for me would definitely be a deal breaker. Yeah. And I think if you are in a profession, for example, uh, where you must uh, fear repercussions if something like mental illness is diagnosed, um, then this might cause that you will not buy one of those headsets or ever use yeah. one of those headsets because of this fear that this data that is then uh, collected of you might fall into the wrong hands and suddenly you get... Uh, some disadvantages uh, because someone somewhere got hold of your data. Like I have a, I have a random, or not a random, but this really reminds me of for a, uh, I have a pop culture reference. Um, Blade Runner. <laughs> I'm not sure if in Blade Runner in the old movie this is already the the case, but like in the new Blade Runner 2049, I think. Anyways, the the new Blade Runner. The one that I like and you don't, but I like that one. I'm there. <laughs> there. No, there I remember the um, Ryan Gosling having to do this test over and over and over again because they're checking on him. So what if in a dystopian future you're not 
it's not like they don't want to buy. So pilots, for example, it's not like they don't want to buy the device. It, they have to wear the device. So it's part of your shift, part of your of your job weekly to, I don't know, do two, uh, two hours off floating in Apple Vision Pro while it subtly will collect data on your mental state. I think it will even be easier because this is right now this workaround if you have this high-tech sensory device on your head it could measure your eye movements and, and these things but we already have uh, cameras and cars that are observing you and um, I'm not sure which model which make um, but they are these systems that are detecting when you fall asleep while driving the car so the camera observes your eye movements and your head movements and if it observes that you are like falling asleep Uh, while driving the car it makes like emergency brake and so sounds an alarm to make you uh, wake up again uh, these things and so um, if you are in the cockpit of a plane for example i could imagine that uh, systems like that will be in place that observe you and your movement your eyes and everything and so sure. technically you don't have to wear an apple device so so that your body is observed and uh, there is data collected about your mental state uh, your health your um your capability of actually operating this plane yeah i mean just like with watch uh you had to do a lot of very fancy tests at the doctors to get results that you now wear on your wrist yeah we'll right. see where it is in 10 years exactly yeah all right uh yeah so uh that's it for today i always forget we have ah. this amazing <laughs> groove <laughs> i love it so thanks for tuning into the Tech Review Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and found it both entertaining and informative. If you liked what you heard, don't forget to subscribe, rate and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Your feedback is our most important metric. And remember, the conversation doesn't end here. Write us a comment on YouTube. We'd love to hear your thoughts, suggestions and ideas for future episodes. Until next time, keep exploring, stay curious and keep being awesome. We'll catch you in the next episode. Peace.